Well, we're going to be in Hebrews 12 tonight, Hebrews 12. And uh, if you don't like the message, it's not for you, it's for me. So I'm just going to enjoy myself tonight. God's so faithful. I couldn't have asked for a better passage on a day like today. So God's good. All right. uh, So we've gone through the Hall of Faith, and we've seen a myriad of characters. Uh, Last week, we saw the um, Island of Lost Toys characters. Um, And quite interesting folks in there. We looked at Samson. We saw, in a sense, Rahab. We saw Jephthah. all of those folks, very interesting. We saw David, and we saw the expanse of his life and the struggles of his life and how God uses failed creatures to accomplish great things. And, um, and we're going we're gonna to see this. But with, with all of the hall of faith, uh, it, it comes to this conclusion because chapter 12 begins with the word therefore. So having studied all of these people in the hall of faith, gleaning from their lives, looking at their entire, the entirety of their testimony. What do you do with that? And then the writer, which I believe to be Paul, the writer then says, therefore, therefore, meaning having grasped all this, this is what you do. This is the application. And I, I warned you all last week not to come because it was time for the application, but you're here and you're brave. And so let's pray. Lord, thank you for your timeliness and the way in which you orchestrated that um, the series of events today and all the things that would transpire, at least in my own life, I imagine the rest of the folks present could say the same, that you would pick this verse and that we would be in it and that we would be encouraged by it, that your word is living and breathing and it's applicable and vital and so necessary and we're so grateful. God, thank you for the depth of your ministry, how you you reach the deepest parts of our heart and you develop us and you never, you never forsake us. You're so faithful. We love you, Lord. Bless us now. Lead us into all truth. We ask Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, chapter 12. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Everyone say weight. The word weight means, in the Greek, it's almost like a tumor. A tuma. It's, it's um, an unnecessary uh, entity that, that doesn't need to be part of your body. And it says, uh, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. We'll see that Friday. What, what enduring the cross meant. That's Good Friday. We're going to see the intensity of the Via Dolorosa, the way of pain. He, was, he suffered more than any human being has ever suffered in the history of mankind. Um, and, and the way he endured that was because he had you and I on his mind because of the joy that was set before him. You were his joy. I'm his joy. Because of the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross despising the shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you know what he's doing now at the right hand of the throne of God? Ever living to make intercession for you and me. Greatest form of of prayer is intercessory prayer. That's why we do it as a congregation. That's why I continue to encourage and exhort you to participate in in uh, intercessory prayer it's it's profound and powerful it's it develops your faith. It'll it'll make you a deeper and and more effective Christian. Prayer is, is something that, that needs to be exercised and needs to be developed, and corporate prayer especially. And so here it says that he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, and as we know from other scriptures, that he is making intercession. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You've not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. And have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons? My son, do not despise a chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom the father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all uh, have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? 
For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Has anyone ever heard the concept, uh, everything happens in threes? Yeah? Well, I, for me, it's it's my mom was the first one to kind of turn me on to this. And ever since, it seems as though uh, that's been evident in my life. Things come in waves of three. A set comes in threes. Uh, and and this, is, this is a week of threes. And I just got the third one. Uh, just as I was coming in, I got a text from the reporter saying that the article we were doing, uh, the editor wanted to change it and add uh, the adversary of the article, their their point of view. And so it's it's not going to be pleasant tomorrow. And, and I, you know, I was like, all right, Lord, you know, and then the other, uh, this, the second of the wave of three was, um, I, I, we found out today that Daniel didn't get into the Naval Academy. It was just, it was devastating. It was really rough. And then the first one is none of your business. So, um <laughs> But it was it was it was a rough day to say the least. There were a lot of tears in the McCoy house and, and a lot of sadness. And with that phone call getting ready to come down, it was it was almost as though, you know, Lord, um, I'm glad I don't have to explain you, and that I don't have to defend you. You're the God of the universe, and your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and and there are things about you I, I must admit I do not understand or comprehend, and I'm glad because I wouldn't worship you otherwise. Now, the things I do know about you I rest in, even when it doesn't make sense. I know that you're good, and everything you do works together for good, and, and I know that you love me, and I know you want the best for me, and I know that you chasten me. And, and, I, and I know that we endure seasons of difficulty, and I know that hardships come, and it's for the perfecting of our faith. I know all of these things are, are, are ways in which you operate. But I have to ask you, Lord, I, I really do. You know, we, we have prayed fervently for probably four or five years, if not longer, for this event that we would find out today that you would say no. Couldn't you have told us five years ago no? Do we have to work through this process? Could, couldn't you have just said no? Anyone else ever feel this way? Is it just me? But the reality of it is everything that we front-loaded him with is still necessary for life, yes? And all the discipline and the diligence. It, it was like the, the assembly race, run in such a way as to win. And, and I, the last thing I expected was Wednesday morning at 2 in the morning sitting on the side yard going, really? I thought we were going to win this thing. I didn't want to be first loser. And and yet, God, I all of that, and 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 I was thinking as I was sitting on the side yard that, that morning, thinking to myself, the donations of, of close to eight hundred thousand dollars, did they just flush it? All those people that sacrificially gave and the people that walked and the work that they did, how am I gonna to talk to them, Lord? I, I really I, I I'm so glad that I I don't have to defend you. Because if this is the way you treat your friends, it's a wonder you have any of them. Nobody's ever felt that way? You go through seasons like that, don't you? And I'll tell you what, every person that we've studied in the Hall of Faith, I guarantee you they went through seasons like that. And that's called a crisis of faith. And, And a faith not tested isn't a faith worth having, is it? It's, it's nice that if life were just roses and wonder and d- delight, it'd be great, wouldn't it? But how are we to process these things? My daughter sent me a text, and, and it, was, it was comforting, and she had pulled it up just trying to encourage us. And, and um, she's very timely that way, the way she just jumps in. And she said, um, she said uh, here it is. Dad, I read this after my miscarriages in the book Hope Heals by Catherine Wolfe, the lady that had the aneurysm, and just went back to it to be reminded again of the words. And they're reminding me and encouraging me just as deeply again now uh, with this news about Daniel, and I wanted to share them with you. And here are the words. Will you trust me still? And I decided that no matter what lay ahead for us, we could not let anything obscure our view of the God who inexplicably gave us everything, even in the taking away 
the God who gave us deepest desires, not like a genie would, but like a loving father who offers what we would want if we knew everything he knew, the God who ultimately gave us the one thing we needed more than anything else in the world himself. Maybe we would have, Molly speculates, she says, Dad, maybe possibly Daniel would have broken his back at the Naval Academy or something would have happened to him there, uh, never to be able to become a Navy SEAL. How can we know the Lord's reasons? Maybe the Lord is giving him the desires of his heart like a loving father who offers what we would want if we knew everything he knew, even in the taking away. And as we go through this passage of Scripture, and you see, therefore, and he, and he begins with the word, therefore, with this great cloud of witnesses, and then he goes into the picture of, my son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. You have a father that disciplines you. We as earthly fathers discipline for the purpose of developing our children if we do it properly. But in the same regard, a heavenly father who, as the scripture points out, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And the idea is God deals with you as with sons, but he corrects us. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father's spirits and live? We pay our earthly father's respect, but how much more? God sees things we don't see. He sees the beginning from the end and all points in between. And he knows the best path to take. That's faith. In in my myopic world, where I've invested five years, in my myopic world, I don't see the future. I'm not there. I don't know what God has in store. That's faith. And, and he is giving us what we need, which is more of him. And sometimes he takes away because he knows that thing is not what's necessary for the future that he has for us. Do you trust that? That's a hard one. That's a hard one. And being surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses as I read this passage, it, it, I, I don't envision that as people are up in the stands going, go get him, Rob. There's Isaiah, Jeremiah, Rahab, and Samson, and Jephthah, and David. Yay, Rob! That's not it, because if that were it, I don't want to live. Because I don't want them watching me when I'm not doing well. Anybody? Could you guys just turn your back for a second while I indulge myself? No? That's not you? It's just me? Thank you. Thank you for making me feel so welcome. I know it's you. You know it's you. We don't want that great a cloud of witnesses in those times. I think what what the author is stating here is this great cloud of witnesses is not so much people in the stands cheering for you as much as their lives are encouraging you. That's the point. Every one of these folks started poorly and finished well. Every one of these folks had bumps in the road. Every one of these folks had trials. Every one of these folks had something taken away. Every one of these folks had something put upon them. Every one of them was under the pile. Every one of them went through it. Every one of them. And and we just went through an exhaustive list, and we have spent weeks on this. Therefore, this great cloud of witnesses testifying their lives, saying to you, God knows best, Daddy knows best, Father knows best. And what he says is, lay aside those tumors. You know what a tumor is? It's a thing that that lives off of, of a living being but doesn't create life. It destroys it and it consumes it. And just it, it, and it's a leech that just drains the life out of, of a living creature until the host is dead. That's a tumor. That's your selfishness. And the scripture says, lay it aside. It's almost in the, in the Hebrews, just throw it aside. I was at the council meeting last night. Somebody came and spoke in the public comments. And they were referring to an officer that, uh, that, that they were praising for their service in our community. And I, I thought it was sweet. But I heard them recite this statement about their fear and how this fear has paralyzed them in the community and how this officer never, never was a part of that fear. And I've sat with this person. I've spent countless times with this person. And I thought about it. I thought, that fear is not of the Lord. It's an excuse to continue in life miserable. 
For the scripture says, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. What, what are some of these areas in life that, you know, when the, when the scripture says that we are, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses that we're to lay aside this, this tumor, this weight, this sin, which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We're in a race. We're running in such a way as to win. We're going to lay that crown at his feet. It's the, it's, it's the victor's crown. We're going to lay it at his feet because we survived it. And we finish this race and we're, we're endued with, with power. We're given faith to do it. And we look unto Jesus if we want to be successful. You know, you, you, you just keep your eyes on the prize. You look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He will keep the imperfect peace whose mind is steadfast on thee. When you take your eyes off him, like, like walking on water, you take your eyes off him and you sink. The idea is to keep your focus on him. And that's, that's whenever you run in a race, you're always looking towards the finish line. That's the point. When I was a swimmer, you would envision the race. You would go through every process of the race. You would, you would figure out what your splits were in the 500 free or the 1,000 or 1,650 or the 400 meter. And you would time that and you would envision the flip turn and you knew who your competitors were and you'd studied them and you knew when they would put the kick in and when you would have to be in a lead. So that kick, which you didn't have, would have to equal itself out and you could push it towards the end and you knew what they had and you waited all. And you were looking at the finish line and you envisioned what the time would be and you, you lived this a thousand times before you got to it. And this is that idea that you, you put all the, and, and when, you, when you time to swim, you don't put clothes on, you take them off. We would shave the hair off of our, our arms and our legs and, and, and you'd do anything you could to remove any encumbrance, anything that would hinder you from being sleek in the water and fast. And yet we go through life and we carry baggage, we carry tumors. We carry stuff that is of, of absolute worthlessness in the body of Christ. We're, we're, we're going through all of our stuff in our house. And, and as we're going through all the stuff in our house, we're realizing 16 years of accumulation, the stuff we just have never used or need. It's amazing how much junk, and I would use another word for it, how much junk you accumulate. And you look at it and you just think, I had to have this and I don't need it anymore. And yet our whole life is driven by these baubles and these trinkets and the have-tos and the needs. And, and I, I tell you, just go visit the junkyard where, you know, two years ago, this stuff everyone had to have, and now they're just dumping it into a, a, a landfill. Just sit and watch all the things you had to have, the pet rock and the, and the beanie baby and the cabbage patch doll. They're all just dumping into the, the landfill. And people were fighting over these things and the stupidity of it. But, I, but instead of just possessions, let's add some more things. What, what are your hang-ups? Do you feel people are prejudiced towards you? Is that your excuse? That you can't move forward because, you know, the, it's, it, all the odds are against you? I was talking with this guy, Dan Wilkes, billionaire. He was, he was born in, in a dirt-poor family, dropped out of high school his sophomore year. His brother dropped out. His brother was married at 17, his his sister-in-law was 15 when they got married, 11 kids in the family, nine of them lived. His daddy was a dirt poor Church of Christ pastor, and they did bricklaying on the side. And he went from a bricklayer to a billionaire in 10 years. And, and it, 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 he, he watched as his children struggled, and they would blame him for their struggles in life. And everybody, go ahead and just, just write it down. Who, who's responsible for your misery? Who's responsible for your inability to run this race? Write it down, think about it, now throw it away. Because nobody is stopping you. You are choosing to allow them to keep you in a prison, to keep you from running this race. You're allowing them access into your life by your unforgiveness and your unwillingness to just go around them. That's the reality. You're giving them so much power. Dan would say to me, when I needed, you know, the, the silicate material and I needed this and Halliburton wouldn't give it, I just figured out a way around. Nobody's going to get in my way to get the, the, the stuff that has to get done. And that's, that's the difference between someone who's successful and victorious and somebody who's not. Come up with any excuse and just attach that hindrance and now go run the race. Run the race with all of your excuses and all of the reasons why you can't. 
No temptation has seized you, but that which is common to man. And when you're being tempted, God will give you a way out. We choose to hold on to it. Those sins that easily ensnare us. And, and whatever it is, what's your hang-up? And we have this unbelievable ability to blame everybody else for why we can't accomplish something. And the, and the Lord is just simply saying, let, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that easily ensnares us. Your bitterness, your unforgiveness, all these things, your worry, your fear, your job, your misplaced morals, your misplaced values, all the things that you've come up with excuses for. And the Lord says, lay them aside. This is a race. It's time to run. It's time to put your eyes on the finish line and realize that you are running a race. You're caught up in all these cul-de-sacs. You're caught up in all these encumbrances. And there, there's a finish line. And, and I, was, I was talking to Becca Whitnall, who I've been witnessing to and ministering to and, and had a really neat conversation with her. And I was blessed because she sent me the text just telling me that, that they're going to add to the article. And, and you know, she, she's inquiring of the Lord and she's, she's very curious as to my faith and what I believe. And she said, Rob, I wanted to give you a heads up because it's a big change what I originally turned into to the paper. Uh, and I want you to know what's going to take take place tomorrow. I said, no worries. Thank you. And she said, um, it, she just said, it's going to be heavy. And, and my comment to her was, um, she said, I'm so sorry. I do hope that just means that better things are in store for your son. When I told her about things coming in threes and this article would be the third. And she, and I said, there's always good things in store. God has never let me down. Trials build character for me and my son. I'm, I'm witnessing to her. And, and then I, and she said, I know it's hard to hold on to that while going through those tough times, but I hope the thought gives you both comfort. I said, it always does. Keep the big perspective. There's a finish line. Absolutely. Thank you. Have a good rest of your night. You too. I will say, Becca, any article, no matter how rough, will be worth the joy of getting to hear your story. Truly a highlight for me this week. She said, that's very kind, and I feel the same way. As far as the article, I don't think it's going to be too bad. The guy, and she goes on to share. But my point is, if that meant that I had the chance to minister to her, write whatever you want to write. I have the finish line in view, and I want everyone to finish with me. Does that make sense? This is a race. You remove the hindrances. And that's why it says, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us. It's not a gentle removal, by the way. The wording means violently taking away, throwing it off, like you cut out a tumor if you had cancer. You want to finish well? You've got to simplify your life. And let me help you with the greatest way to simplify your life. You ready? One word. It's probably the most vital word in Christendom. Ready? Forgiveness. Did you hear that? The one thing God doesn't tolerate in the life of his kids is unforgiveness. You want to move forward? Put it behind you. Throw it off, forgive them, move on. Forgiveness is not forgetting. You can't forget what they did. But you can put the consequences for what they did in the hands of the Lord instead of laying awake at night wanting revenge. That is a briefcase, and you're trying to run a race with a briefcase and a backpack. You're going to lose. Right? It's distraction. Your possessions. If you're laying awake at night looking at your portfolio on the ceiling and worrying about the stock market, you need to simplify. Look at the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. They don't toil or spin, and God provides for their every need. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has its own cares. Let me ask you this. Is there food in your belly right now and a roof over your head? If there isn't, you can come stay with me. Not for a long time, because if you're not working, I'll kick you out. I'm not going to enable you. In a lot of cases, one of the reasons why people are out is because they're not working. And we don't develop a work ethic. Or we don't want to take a job because it's beneath us. There's nothing beneath us. There's a lesson in everything God has for us. The greatest strengths in my life have come from the most menial of jobs. 
That's where I've learned the, the most about life. The Apostle Paul writes in Philippians, he says, for one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and stri- straining towards what is ahead. You know, straining, like, like the runners when they're getting to the finish line, they're just straining, just stretching out. Every, every fiber of their being is pushing towards that finish line. That's the picture. Straining to what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize to which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is the race. He wasn't going to let the things in the past drag him down. He wasn't going to allow any of those things to hinder his run. He had a race to run. He's going to focus on not what lays behind, but what is ahead. It's real simple. Forget what's behind. You can't change the past. You can only prepare for the future. Did you hear that? You can't change the past. Why are you holding on to it? The prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 43, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. He has a special race for us to run. He has something special in store for us. I don't know what it is for Daniel, but I know it's good. I know it's good. I know it's good for me. I know I've learned a lot. So you need to remove those things that hinder your progression and distract you from moving forward. Are you stuck? Are you stuck? You gotta let it go. You gotta let it go. Part of running the race, part of running the race and being victorious is that if you're going to look ahead and forget what is behind, you have to remember the reward that awaits you. We often forget about the power and the beauty of heaven. You can't run the race well without having an eye on the finish line. You gotta have an eye on the finish line. Uh, John Davies is a friend of Brett Schellebarger's and he introduced me to him during the campaign. Actually, I'd known him before, but I didn't know what he did. And I sat down with him and he is a consultant and he works with major companies and he helps them and he's, he's brilliant. He's got this strategic mind that'll just baffle you and blow you away and he's one of the most gifted men. We were gonna get him on a Sunday night to come and speak to the Cultural Mountains of Influence but because he's, he's so sought after, we, we couldn't. We'll try to do it later uh, when we put on another series but I sat down with John Davies and this guy probably gets paid thousands of dollars a minute. I mean, the minute he speaks, it's fascinating and his insights into business and all that. And he looked at me and he said, Rob, why are you running for office? Well, if you don't know the why, then the what is ridiculous. It's irrelevant. Why you're doing what you do will determine what it is you're going to accomplish. Why are you doing this? Why are you here? Why do you have your Bibles? Why are you on this earth? Why are you breathing his air, drinking his water, and living on his dirt? Why? What is the why for what you do? Why do you go to work every day? Why are you with the person you're with? Why are you reading what you're reading? Why are you watching what you're watching? The why is of greatest importance. It's tied to the short-term goals. It's tied to everything that you're going to accomplish. The why is tied to long-term goals, eternal goals. The why is what lasts us till the end. Gratification won't, I like this, gratification won't see us to the end, but when our goal is God's eternal rewards, then not only will we run, run well, but we'll finish well. If you, know, if you know why you're doing it, I figured out why I was running. And it didn't matter if I won or lost. I was in it for a whole set of reasons that were of greatest importance to me. And so that Wednesday morning when I was sitting on the side yard, God started to remind me of the whys. And my heart settled. As I was up in my office preparing the study and looking at the whys, why did we do this for Daniel? And as I started to reflect on it, all the whys are still there. Nothing changes. Just how we accomplish that is going to be a little different. 
But I know why we're doing what we're doing. We want God to be glorified. This is, uh, this is I'm going to read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 9 in the New King James Version, and then I'm going to give you uh, the Living Bible. I don't often do this, but I really did like the translation. And, and, but I'm going to give you the New King James Version of it. This is the Apostle Paul. He says, Everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. This is the why. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. Now the Living Bible translation. And, and think about this when you're ready to give up. This is the why for what we're doing. This is the why for what we're doing. To win the contest, you must deny yourselves many things that would keep you from doing your best. We do it, this is why, we do it, for a heavenly reward that never disappears. So I run straight to the goal with purpose in every step, a heavenly reward, personally rewarded by God. It's kind of a cooler translation in that sense. It, it, I think it encapsulates the, the literal translation that this idea is, this is why we're doing it, for the glory of, of God. And, and when you have that, you have the ability then to resist discouragement. That is, that is the greatest detriment to the body of Christ. When, when the author of Hebrews points out, as we've been studying, and he says, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us. These are those hindrances. These are the discouragements. Think about it. I'll never be able to do that. I can't do that. And you get that Whatever it was your parents told you, oh, you're stupid. You'll never be able to accomplish that. You'll never be a mathematician. You'll never be, don't even bother. Why try? Why? And you get all that from everybody on the face of the earth. Oh, prayer is so stupid. Ministry's dumb. You'll never get rich in ministry. Name it, I've heard it. But I'm not doing it because I'm, I'm listening to you. I'm doing it for a heavenly reward. I have a great cloud of witnesses that are pursuing the purpose of knowing God and making him known. He called me to this. This is why I'm doing it. If you don't have the why, you will be discouraged. If your why is temporal, you will be discouraged. God is really good at that. If your mindset is on the temporal, he'll crush it. And it will rock your world until you get your eyes on the author and finisher of your faith, Jesus Christ. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I, I, I want to change it. I want to do I want to, why? Well, be, I would be, why? And if it isn't Jesus and his glory and the purpose of heaven and wanting as many people to know the Lord, the why is irrelevant. The why is irrelevant. And what happens is, if that's not the why, discouragement will crush you. This is a tough world. It's a tough world. And everybody's competing for the same piece of pie. And, and we're ruthless. And you know what? Let's say you get the pie. It doesn't satisfy. You want something else. And the people that, if, if money were the why... If wealth were the why, why are the tabloids filled with, with broken homes and miserable people who have more money than you can possibly imagine? Money can buy a bed but not sleep. It can buy a house but not a home. It can buy sex but not love. Money's not the answer. That's not the why. Money, I've told you this, money is a representation of your contribution to society. The more we just think money is money, our, our society crumbles because we're not contributing to society. We're doing whatever we can to get money. But if we see the value in contributing to people, money will come. Wealth will generate. If we do good to one another, wealth is created by two people prospering, two people benefiting. But if all it is for us and we worship money, I want that, then society will crumble because there will be no contribution to society. I just, I, I just, I, I want to get a retirement. I just want to get a pension. I just want to, I want to, and whatever, and it doesn't matter. And, and look at the unfunded pension liabilities in our state. And the reality of that is nobody cares. It's just, I want the money. And does that make you happy? Well, if I can get a beach house and just, and I don't have to worry. It doesn't do it. It doesn't do it. 
The picture when you're running the race is to resist discouragement. I like this. Discouragement comes easy when we think about our health, finances, marriage, children, and job. And while discouragement is a reality of life, it's also a choice we make. Throughout the entirety of this day, let me just add, this week, looking at finances, health, my back is killing me. You know, it's it's like it just comes. I got an ache in an area I never had before. It's bugging me. And and watching Michelle struggle through all this, you know, and that this isn't my favorite time in a marriage. It's not like we're fighting. It's just I don't like seeing her discouraged. Children. When 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 there's work to be done, it's like turning on a light in a barn. The rats scurry. It's, you know. And and to their credit, they're they're putting in time and they're they're making. But they're all busy. Not the boys. They're not. They are busy. But they, it's spring break, Dad. I, I I really don't want. Okay. And then I got Michelle frustrated. And I got to you know. And, and oh man, just stop. And then the job. You know, last night at the council meeting and sitting through that and 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 I was I was baffled as as they're talking. They're going through the city budget and they talk about this shortfall for our streets and our roads. And we are going to have a $4.5 million shortfall. And then they, one of the comments is, well, the state just passed SB1, which is the 12 cent sales tax, or excuse me, 12 cent gas tax. We already had the highest gas tax in the country. Now we added 12 cents a gallon to it. And now the state is going to give us three and a half million of the four and a half million shortfall. Yay. And I said, well, no, 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 no. Yay. They're not the savior. At 12 cents a gallon, 60 gallons a week on the average driver, plus the $25 fee that they added towards the car, let's just calculate 50,000 drivers coming up and down the 101 that would purchase gas in our area. That's $300 a year per driver. That's probably $15 million. So the state takes $15 million out of our district and they give us $3.5 million back. Isn't that sweet? Contrast that if we did a half cent sales tax, which I'd have to hear see a burning bush from God to do that. But contrast that with a, 12, a half cent sales tax increase to cover the roads. That would generate, and, and I've already heard this from every one of the city employees, that would generate $14 million for the city. It would. That $14 million would go directly into the city. The state doesn't get any of it. They don't get any of it. But I'm listening to this, and the mindset of everyone in the state is the state helped us. They didn't help us. They just ripped us off. We just lost 500 jobs from Amgen. Nobody can afford to work here anymore. And I look at this, and you can get discouraged, but you must resist discouragement. It's about relationships, endeavoring through the process, working to fix it. And I got news for you. As bad as it is right now, I'm not in the 1040 window of the Muslim world. I'm not wondering if my children are going to be beheaded tonight. Now, I can make it better. I need to participate. God God has a, a role for us to play, but I'm not going to allow discouragement. Discouragement's a choice. I'm here for such a time as this. And and if you're doing good, there are going to be detractors, yes? Will you choose to allow their voice to stifle you or will you continue on? You must resist discouragement and you can't be embittered to them. People are not the enemy. They're the objects of God's love. They're opportunities. So so this is is the whole mindset as we go through this process. You resist discouragement and it comes easy, but it's also a choice you make. From the depths of a man's heart comes their words and, and this is, This is that idea. D.L. Moody said, I've never known God to use a discouraged person. I just, I just, I can't. I am so, I just, man, I, we don't need you here. You're a ministry, not a minister. We're going to have to blow sunshine your way. I just, I just don't think I just, it's like Eeyore. He's just this cloud following you. You know what discouragement is? It's the opposite of faith. You do not have your eyes on the author and finisher of your faith. You got it on all your problems. You got it on all your excuses. You got it on all your tumors. 
and you're looking at your problems through, the hum, through human understanding and you're, you're, you're assessing it through human understanding instead of looking at your problems through the eyes of faith. This is an instrument that God is using to chasten and develop me and I see it, God. And, and listen, I get it. It, it. I didn't turn this corner maybe but 15 minutes ago. Well, 30 now. I had to sit down and say, Lord, I, you're in this. Now, I'm, I'm going to vent a little bit, God. I'm going to lay out some, some issues here. This five years, I, I, I'm laying this out. And the Lord says, are, are you, did I shortchange you? No. Are you happy with the development of your son? Yes. Do you think I don't have a plan? No, you have a plan for him. Did it do anything for you? Yeah, it did a lot for me. Now, can you please go down and teach the folks and quit whining? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. This is what the Apostle Paul said about his approach to discouragement. This is Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. You really have to control your heart. This is protected. I'm doing this. Why? For him. He loved the unlovable. He loved his enemies. He did good to those who spitefully used him. You just keep doing it. Why? For him. Why? Because he wants me to. Why? Heaven awaits. That's the finish line. There are three things you need to do or three things you need to remember to help with your discouragement. And this is what I applied tonight and I pray it works for you, okay? You can write it down. I just jotted a couple notes. First one, remember God's goodness. I'm a good dad. I really believe I'm a good dad. I I make mistakes, but I'm a good dad. But my heavenly father is so amazing. In 52 years on this earth, everything he's ever done in my life has been good. And even the things I thought weren't good over time, they were exponentially good. When I look back and I think, wow. It's like Mr. Miyagi. Why am I painting this stupid fence? Hours and hours and hours and hours. You get free labor from me. I'm quitting. Oh, yeah? You want to see karate? And he starts doing all the... He knows what he's doing. He's developing us. God's goodness. Remember all the times he bailed you out. He met your need. He answered your prayer. He brought you joy. He brought you peace. He touched your troubled heart. He gave you a peace that surpasses all understanding to guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. When you turn to him, When you were looking through it with your own lens and not pressing into him, you you didn't have any peace. He doesn't want you to have peace apart from him because there is no peace apart from him. He drew you to himself. And when you were there, he just settled you. And just, just remember God's goodness. But that brings me to the second point, his presence, God's presence. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. No matter what, no matter what, God is with you. He's with you. I would not want to go through this life alone. He will never leave me. He'll never forsake me. Now, I don't always feel his presence, granted. I don't always feel his presence. But I know he's always there. That's faith. Faith is the opposite of discouragement. So you have God's goodness, you have God's presence. And then remember this, and this is vital, and this is what I would encourage you to do. And I had to stop and do a little of it today, God's promise. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. I know that he wants to do good. I know that he is doing good. I know that that heaven awaits me. I know that he's cast my sin as far as east is from the west to be remembered no more. I know that he works all things together for good with those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I know that there's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Boy, that is such a comforting one to me when I have screwed it up. Anyone else? It's his promise. The key to defeating discouragement is to change your focus off the world and yourself and focus on God, on his goodness, his presence, and his promises. Okay? Did you get that? I don't see you writing it down. We're almost finished. 
this is where I get in a funk. Maybe it's just me, but I doubt it because there's nothing new under the sun. And If I don't renew myself daily, I get in a funk. If I'm not in the word daily, I'm in a funk. I can tell you right now, if a couple comes in and they're seeking marriage counseling because they're arguing and their marriage is in jeopardy, I, I'm pretty certain they're not in the word. I can tell you right now, if you're in deep depression and you're struggling and I ask you, what has God shown you? You can't give me a verse. You, you, David strengthened himself in the Lord in the midst of the deepest discouragement. The scripture says he strengthened himself in the Lord. You've got to renew yourself daily. But part of renewing is not just the word. It's also physical. You got to recharge your physical batteries and your spiritual batteries. Psalm 127 is my favorite. People tell me this oftentimes. I'm so tired. I, I need sleep. And I, I always send this quote to him, uh, Psalm 127. It is vain for you to rise up early and to sit up late and to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he gives his beloved sleep. I always tell this to people. God gives sleep to those he loves. He loves you. Now go to sleep. I, I, I've been worrying about, just stop. And that's the ruminating. And, and, and laying awake is doing you absolutely no good. You are focusing on your problems through your eyes and through your issues. Instead of, he will keep the imperfect peace whose mind is steadfast on thee. You're dwelling on Psalm 127 verse two. He gives, peace, he gives sleep to those he loves. Just rest, rest. Go to sleep. No, I have so much to do. You are not helping anybody. You're not doing anyone any good. And and when you don't get sleep, you're irritating. Rob. Vince Lombardi, a famous football coach, member of the Green Bay Packers. He said, fatigue makes cowards of us all. You know what? There's nothing like a good nap. Amen. Well, I, and, I, and people know this, that I couldn't reach you. Ah, I turned my phone off. I couldn't get in touch with you. There's so many things. I know, I was sleeping. If I, if, if, if I have to fee, feel guilty telling you I was sleeping, I'm more worried about you than I am about my well-being before the Lord. He gave me rest. He closed my eyes. I needed it. Oftentimes, if I don't get a Sunday nap, don't, don't even be around me Monday. I'll kill you. You need physical exercise, and you also need rest to be renewed. I think one of my biggest struggles is, is you know, the body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and you need to take care of it. And, it, you know, if, if, if I'm not physically taking care of my body, I am, I am not effective in the ministry. I watched Brett. He was probably 60, 70 pounds heavier than you are now. And he just wasn't accomplishing things. And he went and just said, you know, Lord, I want to be used by you. And he's got more energy, more ability. And I look at him and I think, I need to do that, but I haven't done it yet. First Timothy 4, 8, for bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things. Having promise of life that is now, that now is and of that which is to come. So, he says, physical exercise profiteth little. It does profit, but don't spend all your time at the gym or all your time in bed. Amen? And then the spiritual renewal. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 4. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. And, and that renewal of the inward man, you know, I was, I, there was a lady last night who turned 100 years old and we acknowledged her at the council meeting, her 100-year-old woman. And she, they brought her up to the thing and she was speaking. She, and, and Mayor Bill de la Pena was up there. So the four male council members were on their dais. And, and she says, uh, uh, Mayor Bill de la Pena said, do you want to say anything? And she says, well, I'm just looking at these four very handsome council members looking at me. And she was funny. She was hilarious. And, and I talked to her earlier and I go, I'm at 52 and parts are falling off. How did you make it to 100? And she looks great and she's sharp and she's funny and witty and uh, just a classy lady. And, and I think it's her outlook. And, and, and then Bill de, Mayor Bill de la Pena was pointing out, you know, what she attributes to her longevity. She said, I, I don't drink. I don't smoke. I, 
and I keep a you know short list of you know I I I don't harbor anything. It, it it was really healthy, and and it was precious to listen to, and I I I was touched by it. But I let's let's conclude in the remaining time. I, I wanted to do this because I um I thought it would be encouragement to you. Let me find the here it is. I want to read this to you. So, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. We've already covered that. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We've covered that. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Everyone say finisher. What's the purpose of the race? Okay, what's the purpose of the race? Why are you, why are you running? To finish. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He finished. He went through all the misery. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. We covered that. You have not yet resisted unto bloodshed, because it sweat as though it were drops of blood, the scripture says. Striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons and talking about chastening and the struggles that what God does, he does for our good. He corrects us. And he says in verse 11, now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And the idea, the why is to finish. I'm running to finish. And victory is heaven. And the Bible says, store your treasures in heaven where moth and rust will not destroy and thieves will not break in and steal. The only thing going to heaven is people. And we want to take as many with us as possible. We do that with forgiveness. We don't harbor bitterness. And we run with joy. And we endure. And we're okay. And we intercede. And we love. We do good. But I don't know about you. I know me. Anyone in the room like me, where you have been in this race and you've been carrying luggage and briefcases and six or seven pairs of shoes and you've tripped and you're just, everyone's running and you're just a pile of mess. Anybody? And you're like, I'll never catch up. Anybody? I, I, this is remedial. Why am I having to learn this again? Anybody? Lord, I asked for forgiveness of this when I was 13. I'm 52. Why, why are we having this conversation? Anybody? That's me. I, I'm, I'm assuming it's you. Maybe you've overcome all this. Look at you. You're amazing, you. We need to get you dinner tonight. You're special. Listen, it's not how you start. It's how you finish. You got all this junk. You've tripped over it. Ready? Forget what's behind. Strive for what is ahead. Just keep moving. Just keep moving. Why? The finish line. Heaven. The joy set before us, Jesus. It's about him. It's for his glory. Keep moving. Keep moving. Right? It's not how you start, it's how you finish. I want to share with you, we'll close with this. This is out of Acts chapter 15. This guy was a knucklehead. The great apostle Paul disliked this man immensely. This man that I'm about to speak of split the church. This man almost ruined Christianity. He was such a doofus. Rob McCoy, no. Verse 36 of Acts 15, Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark, But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to do the the work. Then the contention became so sharp 
that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Barnabas was the one who saved Paul, encouraged Paul, discipled Paul, blessed Paul. Barnabas has a cousin named John Mark. John Mark joins them. He's related. Obviously, nepotism. Paul's like, all right, you want to bring your cousin. They get into the work. It's intense. And John Mark goes, oh, I quit. And it, and it, the discouragement, the misery, the heartache, it was devastating. And for Paul, who had been beaten in every city he went into, and he's looking at this guy going, oh, he doesn't have a pillow, sparky leaves? Where am I going to be beat up next week? What prison am I going to be in? Little whiny boy just pitched on us. And now they're getting ready to do another work. And Barnabas goes, let's bring him back. And Paul's like, there's no education in the second kick of a mule. I'm not doing that. That kid is worthless and weak and he's pathetic and he's not coming with us. And Barnabas says, no, there's, there's hope in him. Paul's saying, no, we got work to do. This is where we're going. Barnabas is saying, but let's bring John Mark along. Paul was about the mission. Barnabas was about the man. Who was right? Who was wrong? They both were. The church commended Paul. So what? Church has gotten a lot of things wrong. Barnabas and, and John Mark went to Cyprus. Good work happened there. Paul joined with Silas. Good work happened there. Churches were planted in the, in the split. But it was John Mark who had, he just tripped over all the baggage and he's, he's like the guy, we're going on a missions trip, and they just show up with all this luggage. You're like, what are you doing? We, why'd you bring all this junk? Well, I've got my protein bars, and I've got my gluten, and I got in there, I'm going to make sure that I brought the shakes and the things, and, the, and, I, and, and, and then I, you know, I brought a shower, because we don't, and then I wanted to bring my own wet wipes, and I've got, and you're like, man, what's up with you? We're going to get dirty for a couple weeks. Can you deal? I can't. No. Mm-mm. I brought my air mattress and it's electric. Do we have a plug-in anywhere? Does anyone have a plug-in? I brought a fan because I'm going to... And he just trips over all of his junk and he goes, this is... I'm leaving. There's, there's a fly in my soup. What is this fly doing in my soup? The backstroke. I don't know. And it almost ruins a church. Now turn to 2 Timothy Chapter four, we'll close with this. Second Timothy chapter four. This, this was the last epistle, the last letter the apostle Paul wrote before he'd be beheaded. Now, he's old. Many believe him to be blind. You can imagine the beatings he's endured. He's been left for dead. He's been shipwrecked, not once, but twice. Perils at land, perils at sea, perils by robbers. He's been beaten with rods countless times. I mean, this, this guy looks like a bloody mess by this time in his life. And shortly he's going to be beheaded. And he's in prison while he's writing it. That's the, he never called to see what the hotels were like when he called ahead. He'd always call to see what the prisons were like. And, and this, he's writing this in prison. He's freezing cold. And, and he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, we'll pick up at verse 9. He says to Timothy, be diligent to come to me quickly. He's discouraged. He says, for Demas has forsaken me. Look at me for a minute, if you would. Demas was a guy that started really well. Demas was amazing. And then you see the progression. If you just do a a study on his name, you see the progression of how he falls away. Having loved this world, he's abandoned me. At this point, he's like, that guy's worthless. I endeavored with him. He, He had such promise, and now he's nowhere to be found. Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed to Thessalonica. Crescens went to Galatia. Titus went to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Luke is his physician, his doctor, and he's patching him up. And, and then look at this. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. Antichicus, I have sent to Ephesus, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas when you come. He's cold. But look what he says here. And the books, and the books, especially the parchments. Those were his final words. Go get Mark. He's useful in ministry. This kid started poorly, but he is finishing well. And he encourages my heart, and he gets it. He knows the why. 
and he forgot what's behind. He's striving for what is ahead. This guy gets it. Demas started well, finished poorly. John Mark started poorly, but he's finishing well. Right? Um, who wrote the book of Mark? He wrote, who wrote, who wrote the book of Mark? John Mark. I'd say he's pretty useful. Amen. Interestingly enough too, Paul at the end of his life, you know, you want to be strengthened in the Lord. You want to be renewed. Faith, which is the opposite of discouragement, right? Right? Faith comes from hearing and hearing from what? Bring the parchments. Bring the books. Paul, give it a rest. You've got the whole thing memorized. You were a Pharisee. You were a Sadducee. You were of the Sanhedrin. You had to memorize the Pentateuch. You, you, you know it from beginning to end. Why, why, do you, why do we have to drag these parchments to you? You've already got it memorized. Can't you just, you've got Psalm 23. Bring the parchments, bring the books. Because when you're in prison, discouragement can overtake you if faith isn't present. And faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. How do you know the promises of God if you've never read them? The world will tell you its voice but only in the word of God will you hear his voice. That's why it's important to read, folks. And so this great cloud of witnesses, they all obeyed the voice of God. They all endeavored through trials. And they got through to the other side because they knew the why and what they were doing. And they ran this race looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of their faith. Amen? Questions tonight? We've got seven minutes. You can get out early if you want. Questions? Yeah, Billy. Yeah, at noon. I'm sorry. Um, do we videotape the Good Friday? Yeah, we'll videotape. You can see it online. Yeah. Yeah. Any other questions? Comments? Yes, sir. Praise the Lord. Amen. He works all things together for good. Again, the word in the Greek for all means all. He works it all together for good. All of it. That's faith. Why are you discouraged, oh my soul? God is good. God is good. He loves you. It's going to be all right. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Get Mark and bring him with you for he's useful to me for ministry, Lord. It's not how we start, it's how we finish. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, all of us here tonight, the world, he endured the cross, despising the shame and is now at the right hand of the Father, And Lord, this is the why in what we do. We look unto you, Lord Jesus. We're only passing through. Our eyes are on heaven. We have eternal, an eternal perspective. Lord, please let us not be discouraged. Let us have faith. Let us realize that you work it all together for good and that you're a father, that you you take the things away that we don't realize we, we don't need. And yet you see the beginning from the end and you know exactly what we need. And if you take something away, it's because 
you've got plans that are spectacular in the future. And so we trust you, Lord. We have faith. And so, Lord, I pray for the discouraged heart in this room right now. That whatever it is you've taken away from them, they would realize that you have something greater in store. And they would trust you by faith. And they wouldn't be discouraged. That their eyes would be on you. And they would know that you're good. And they would rely on your promises. So, Lord, refresh them, I pray. Bless them. Renew them. Strengthen them. According to your riches in Christ, I ask. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys.